Well, hey guys, bust out your Bibles. Um, we have a lot to cover tonight, um, and you know that I don't cover things fast, um, and that's problematic at some times, but other times it's great, and I think when we're studying God's Word, uh, it's great. Yeah. Bo found out on Sunday that we've been in the book of John for, uh, for 237 days. 237 days we've been in the book of John. And we are only to chapter 9. Um, so we're 25 weeks into our series, uh, and we're just tearing it up. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 9. Let me see your Bibles. I want to see your Bibles. If you guys got a Bible, um, let me see it. Put it up in the air. Wave it around like you just don't care. You know, um, That's awesome. Uh, we have mostly smartphone Bibles tonight, which is really uh, intense. and That's awesome. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 34. Um, and I'm going to read those kind of periodically throughout. Or we, No, we'll just do it right now. How's that? I got them up on the screen if you guys don't have a Bible. But John chapter 9, verse 13 through 34, and it says this, And they brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus had made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also asked him again and said, uh, how have you received this? And he said, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I could see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. And others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division amongst them. And they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him, because he has opened your eyes? And he said, He, being Jesus, is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received sight, until they called the parents of him who had received the sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We do not. Uh, we know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But by what means, or how does he now see? We do not know. Or who has opened his eyes? We do not know. He is of age. Ask him, and he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, why don't you just ask him? So they again called him the man who was blind and said to him, uh, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered them, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, and that is that I was once blind, and now I see. And then they said to him again, What did he do to you, and how did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already. Did you not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? And then they reviled at him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And we know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, well, we don't know where he is from. And then the man answered and said to them, Why, this is marvelous, that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not heal or hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God, he does his will, and he hears him. And since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone's eyes would be opened up if they were born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do this thing. And they answered him and said, You were completely born in your sins, and now you are trying to teach us. And they cast him out of the synagogue. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. 
God, and we just pray that tonight, as we spend these next few moments looking at what your perfect word has to say, God, I pray that each and every single one of us uh, will be touched by what your word has. God, we'd be encouraged by what your word has. We'd be inspired by what your word has. God, that your word would challenge us uh, to live our lives more like you and more for you. Uh, God, truly doing what you have called us to do. God, I pray that tonight none of these would be my words, but God, that your perfect word would speak through. Uh, God, anything that would be of me may have fallen on deaf ears or may not even be able to get it out of my mouth. But God, we want your perfect, unadulterated word to come through. Uh, God, and penetrate our hearts. So God, we just thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name. Jesus Christ, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. I got a question for you guys. Yeah. How many of you guys, uh, how many of you were born in the 80s? No. Dang. I am the only one. Uh, I just made it to the 80s by 20 days, so I'm technically a 90s kid. That's awesome. Anyone born before 95? Anyone born before? Okay, solid. Okay, now we got like the half and half. That's great. Um, how many of y'all... And this, this goes for anyone. How many of y'all ever watched the TV show uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Right, right, right. Mr. Rogers was a G. He always had the greatest sweaters and those socks. And, like, it was awesome. And the puppets and the train set and the mailman. Mr. Rogers was awesome. He was a sniper in the Marine. He was a sniper in the Marine. Yeah, that's why he wore sweaters. Did you guys know that? That wasn't even my notes. Was, the reason why he wears sweaters and stuff it's because the dude's like just like legit tatted out. So I've heard, but I've also heard that it's not true. I don't know. All I know is he's a sniper and he did some crazy stuff. Um, but Mr. Rogers inspired me because he always talks about his neighborhood. Okay. Uh, and he uh, sings this wonderful song that many of you guys might know. Uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? A beautiful day. Because won't you be my neighbor or something like that? And so, Bo, you, you can advance it maybe two more slides. Because uh, that's the title of our message tonight. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. And so if you're taking notes, which I would encourage you guys to do, not because I think I have anything good to say, uh, but because I think God's Word has something good to say. And I encourage you to take notes. Uh, did I spell beautiful wrong? No, you spelled beautiful wrong. I did. All right, there we go. That's You spelled it perfectly. Perfect. All right. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, that's the title. Um, but when I think about neighborhoods, I think of a different TV show from when I was a kid. Uh, a kid. Do you guys remember the TV show Sesame Street? Yeah. Yeah, all right. It's still on TV. Sesame Street was great. Uh, I watched Sesame Street like every day when I was a kid. And that, I'll tell you what, was probably the coolest neighborhood to grow up in. Sesame Street was the spot. You had Big Bird and Snuffleupagus. Y'all remember stuff with Luffy? Oh, yeah. yeah, that dude was a G. And then you walk around the corner, and you look and you see the garbage can, and then out pops Oscar the Grouch. I and then you got Oscar. Cookie Monster, and you got uh, uh, Grover, right? I mean, it was the coolest bunch of people. And the best part about Sesame Street was you learned letters and numbers and sound mm -hmm. and colors. Like, Sesame Street was the neighborhood. And the reason why I'm talking about neighborhoods um, is because we all... Uh, have a neighborhood, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, what it means to be a part of a neighborhood tonight, and we're going to look and we're going to see uh, through this blind man's life. We did a review of last week. We don't have a whole lot of time, uh, but this blind man, he was blind from birth, and the disciples asked Jesus, and they said, yo, Jesus, um, 
So this man's been blind since birth. Is it he who sinned for him to be uh, born this way? Or was it his parents uh, who sinned that he was born this way? Uh, And the reason why they asked this question um, was because in the Jewish tradition uh, and in the Jewish law, uh, it was possible for somebody, in their understanding of things, to sin while they were in the womb. Not a reality. We were born in sin. I mean, like, we're already sinful. But they believed that you could commit sinful acts while inside the womb. And they base this off of one scripture in the Old Testament uh, that talks about how when Jacob uh, and Esau were there in the womb, uh, they were contending, and, and there was this strife that was going on between them in the womb. So you can sin in the womb, so if you sin in the womb, you're born with some sort of sickness. That's why they were able to say this. And then asking about the parents, they also believed that if the parents or your grandparents or your great-great-grandparents had sinned, then you could be born with a sin as a punishment for what your parents had done. These are all things that the Bible does not teach, but the Jewish rabbis and Pharisees of the time did preach. Now here's the thing, just a little bit more review. Uh, right before Jesus runs into this blind man, remember he had just ninja'd out of the temple, right? Jesus had said something, they wanted to kill him, and then it says Jesus just like snuck out of their midst. And now, here's the thing, he is right outside the temple when he sees this blind guy. Okay, and this is just a little tagline that I heard in uh, response to this portion of scripture. Jesus was legitimately a stone throw away from getting stoned, from getting killed, yet he's helping someone out. There was someone in need. And here's the thing, many sermon, we could all just go home after you hear this, but here's the thing. In our lives, in our lives, we are always, or just at least a stone throws away from someone who is in need, and we have the opportunity to go and to reach out to those people. So think about that. I can probably throw a stone further than some of you, but I'm sure there's some of you who can throw a stone further than me. Okay? Uh, so just think about that radius that you can throw a stone. I could probably throw a stone 40 yards. Okay? 120 feet, 120 feet in diameter around me. Mine's like 20. That's awesome. Some of us are more gifted than others. Um, but that is, uh, there's always someone within a radius of us who we can help out. And, and so I just want to encourage you guys with that. So here's the thing. Jesus, he just healed this guy. Uh, and now the guy is going around talking about his healing. And he runs back. Uh, and his buddies, and that's where we're getting right now, um, his buddies, his neighborhood, uh, is about to go a little bit crazy. Okay? Because this guy who was blind from the time he was born, he is a man. Okay? And he's been blind since the time he was born. He shows back up in his neighborhood. And everyone's like, dude, what the heck you can see? And it starts out in verse 13 that they brought him uh, before the Pharisees. Who's the they? Well, we're going to cover that in just a second. But here's the thing. Um, tonight, what I want us to look at uh, is how we are going to deal with our neighbors. Okay. The question that I want to ask each and every single one of you, if you're taking notes, write this question down. Uh, how will I deal with my neighbors? And here's the thing. I'm not just talking about your neighbors in a house. I'm not just talking about your neighbors maybe in an apartment or your dorm or a roommate. What I'm talking about is the people who are around us, the people who we come in contact with. If we were a fish in a sea of people, uh, that is our neighbors. The people who we are around, okay? Uh, That is our neighbors. That's what we're going to look at tonight. So we introduced this blind man last week. Uh, But tonight, we're going to see his neighbors introduced, we're going to see his family introduced, his friends, 
uh, and some religious figures from the block. Okay, uh, and when I think about this, uh, it reminds me of some of the old movies that take place, like in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that take place in like New York and whatnot. And it's like on every corner you got like the Catholic priest of that block, you know, and like of of, of that uh, borough or of that thing. It's like here's the hood, here's the family, here's your friends. And here's your religious figure for that little neighborhood, okay? That's the way it used to be. That's the way it was back then. And, uh, and so we're going to really see this guy's neighborhood unfold. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, they, you'd think, I just want us all to put our thinking caps on. If you had a friend, a neighbor, who was blind from the time he was born, and he shows up, Back at your neighborhood, yeah. and now he's like, I can see you, I can see you, and that tree is green, I just can see what green is. I mean, the normal reaction would be like, that's so exciting. Like, let's go watch a movie together. Yeah. Like, you don't just have to listen to it. And, and so no. he's able to see, and so there's this, uh, there should have been a response of like, this is awesome, but here's the reality. Uh, it was not a response of awesome. Uh, they had a big issue with it, and they were very frustrated uh, about this. And so we're going to look at the responses tonight. But their responses were opposite uh, of what uh, you would expect. But I want us to look at our neighbors, and I want to ask another question. Do you ever wonder um, what unbelievers are around you? As followers of Christ, we're called to be witnesses. We're called to tell people about Jesus. But have you ever wondered uh, how many neighbors you have, both house neighbors and just co-workers, classmates, teammates, whatever it may be, do you ever just take time to wonder, how many unbelievers do I have around me, and how would unbelievers respond to me? What do my neighbors think of me? Have you ever asked yourself the question, what does my neighbor think of me? Because here's the thing, your neighbor should have some thought about you. Whether good or bad, your neighbor should have some sort of thought. And the reason why I think they should have some sort of thought, the reason why I can say that with all assurance, is because God's Word tells us if you put your faith in Jesus, you're going to be different and people are going to have opinions about you, whether good or bad. And so here's the thing. Uh, we need to become cognizant of what our neighbors are thinking about us because what they think about us and what they think about the message that we have will directly impact how we can reach them. You guys all tracking? So I want you guys to ask yourselves the question, no, what do my neighbors think about me? Here's the thing. Uh, they did a statistical analysis of, uh, of neighbors, and they gave them a, like, they just went to different neighborhoods, and they had people fill out these questionnaires about the percentage is of groups of people or ethnic groups or religious groups of people who you would not want to have as a neighbor. Okay, and, and, and before I go into this, I just want to let you guys know that 73.37% of all statistics are made up on the spot. You got it, that's awesome. But these statistics are actually real. I didn't make these ones up on the spot like I just made that up. Um, here's the thing. When, when they break down the list, uh, 2% of people, uh, well, 1% of people uh, don't want to have Catholic neighbors. Um, 2% of people don't want to have like Buddhist, Hindu, or Protestant Christian neighbors. 
Um, it like jumps down to like 7% of people uh, don't want to have an unmarried couple be their neighbor. Then it's like 9% of people don't want Hispanic neighbors. And then it jumps to like 13% of people don't want black people as neighbors. Racist. And, well, here's what's crazy. 14% of people do not want religious fundamentalists as neighbors. Uh, they don't want uh, people who believe what the Word of God has to say. That's actually the most, the highest on the list. People do not want to have Bible-believing neighbors. It's a statistic. It's a true reality. Okay, um, Which, 14% isn't that high, but the fact that it's the highest that they don't want as a neighbor is, is a little bit intriguing to me uh, because it makes me think even more about my neighbors. Well, what do my neighbors think of me? My neighbors know I'm a pastor. My neighbors know... I love Jesus. Uh, what do my neighbors think of me? My neighborhood's a little bit different. Uh, it's it's kind of funny actually how it works. My house is here, directly across the street from me, is a is, is a husband and a wife. The husband is the director of Youth for Christ, <laughs> and his wife is a pastor. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, the the neighbor behind me was like a missionary for a bunch of years. Uh, the neighbor down here is a Sunday school teacher. So it's like I kind of live in this pocket of like. Christians and like intense Christians, but at the same time, I have neighbors just directly on every other side who don't know Jesus, and uh, makes me wonder what do my neighbors think about me? Um, I know, right? Go knock on the door and ask them, what do you think about me? And that's, uh, I think that's what we've been called to do in God's Word. Uh, he, he sends the disciples out two by two to go knock on doors and, and, and tell people uh, about the kingdom. And, and, and I, think that's, I, think that's pretty, I think that's pretty awesome to, 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 to go next door and see. And so I want to encourage you guys, if you don't know your neighbors, uh, get to know your neighbors. Because a lot of the time, neighbors are really cool people. I have some pretty sweet neighbors. So here's the thing. People have always uh, said bad things about uh, Christians. People have always been saying bad things about Christianity. One of the great um, Italian philosophers and writer, maybe you've heard of him, his name was Voltaire. Anyone ever heard of Voltaire before? Well, Voltaire uh, is quoted talking about how Christianity is the greatest disease that has infected the human mind. Uh, when you look down at, at some of the Enlightenment writers and some other people uh, throughout um, the late 1800s, early 1900s, you see how they just write about how Christianity uh, is is terrible and it's a, it's the religion of the weak, of the of the losers, of just people who uh, are really kind of down and out. But it's no really smart person believes in Christianity. We're going to talk about that a little bit more um, tonight. But there's there's always been a mass, and I, I want to put parentheses or, or quotations around this uh, hatred. Because it's not always our understanding and definition of hatred, but there's been a, a real hatred of Christianity since its inception. Okay, and, and, and just know that that is uh, a reality. That there are people who hate the idea that you are a Christian, uh, and they're right around us. So we need to be cognizant of what our neighbors think about us. I, I was meeting with a high school kid just yesterday, and uh, he was telling me uh, about some of his teachers because he's a Christian and. and, and he wants to get to know God better. He wants to read his Bible. And so they have 15 minutes of free read uh, at his school. And so he's been reading his Bible during the 15-minute free read. I think that's really cool. Well, his teacher ended up telling him that she's not allowed to read the Bible for a 15-minute free read. And I, like, I like freaked out. I'm like, no, you have a constitutional right to read your yeah. Bible. But here's the thing. This is what they said was uh, because there's not a standardized test on the Bible for school because they're free read. 
apparently there's like a test for every single literature book there is that a 14 year old kid would read and so there's there's not a test for the Bible, so he's not allowed to read the Bible. It's like all these loopholes to get it so kids can't read the Bible. Then he goes from his reading class to a science class where the teacher tells him that 80% of scientists who are looking for uh, life on other planets are doing it just to prove that God doesn't exist. I had to tell him that 73.37% of all statistics were made up on the spot. His teacher didn't even know what he was talking about when he said 80% of scientists who are looking for life on other planets want to disprove God. That's just a made-up stat. But... Whether it is or it isn't, here's the thing. He's being taught in public school that you don't want anything to do with God because only dumb people believe in God. Uh, and that's kind of the general concept our society, our culture is painting about Christians. Only dumb people believe Christianity. You can't be smart, you can't be intellectual and actually believe that there's a God. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to kind of break down uh, how that actually is not truly a reality. And what we're going to look at tonight, if you're taking notes, we have four points. Four points. It's, uh, it's 7.50 and I just finished my intro. I'm 10 minutes ahead of schedule, guys. That's way good. I'm proud uh, of you. Thank you. But I normally only have a three-point sermon, so now I've got a four-point, so i got to eat up the rest of the time. Uh, so here's the thing. I have four points for you guys tonight, and these are the four characteristics of an unbeliever or an unbelieving neighbor. And here's the thing. Uh, when I say these are four characteristics, every unbeliever does not have all four of these. And not unbeliever has all these operating in their lives at every given moment. These are just like things that unbelievers can be. But when you look at the general uh, scope of unbelievers, uh, they normally fall within one or more of these uh, generalized characteristics. Okay? And the first one, if you're taking notes, is that unbelievers can be ceremonial. What do I mean when I say ceremonial? Uh, I'm saying that unbelievers can have faith. Unbelievers can have religion, uh, they can have rituals and rites, they can have belief, <coughs> etc. Uh, and they can also hide behind these things. Oh, I'm a good person, I got belief, I already got religion, I don't need God, I don't need Jesus, I got my own spirituality, like I don't need any of that stuff. And we can see that unfold here in verses 13 through 17. We see the blind man's neighbors coming around him, and they're like, they bring him to the Pharisees because they're like, hey, uh, this is awesome that he got healed, I think, but is it okay that he got healed because it took place on the Sabbath? For those of you who don't know what the Sabbath is, this is uh, a day every week in the Jewish culture that is um, ordained by God. It's given in the Ten Commandments that you should honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, but it's a day where you're not supposed to do any work. Um, but when they bring the blind man before the Pharisees, and they're like, hey, he was healed on the Sabbath, like, is this okay? The Pharisees then ask the blind man, they say, well, what went down? And the blind man doesn't just like try and tiptoe around the tulips or do any like, well, you know, there's a loophole here. He's just like, dude, the guy spit in the clay, he put it on my eyes, probably burned a little bit, but then I went and I washed it off and I can see. He gets right to the point, but here's the thing. Uh, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, uh, were religious unbelievers. Uh, they liked the rigidity and the structure of religion, uh, but they didn't like the relational aspect of what it means to be uh, a follower or a child of God. These people were the Jewish leaders. They were saying, hey, we are God's people. We don't need your religion. We don't need your Jesus. We don't need your faith. But... 
this is not just the people uh, of other religions when it comes to our neighbors. Maybe you have uh, a Hindu neighbor. Maybe you have a Muslim neighbor. Maybe you have a Buddhist neighbor. Maybe you have uh, a, just an atheist believer uh, or, 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 or neighbor. Maybe you're in, like, you work with people of other religions. Here's the thing. When I'm talking about unbelievers who can be ceremonial, I'm not just talking about people of other religions. Because there's very real people who sit in the pews of our churches and sit in the chairs of our churches who are more caught up with the ceremony of church, the the status of, I go to church on Sunday, it's good, I go to church on Easter and Christmas, it's good, and they hide behind the fact that, yeah, I sing songs, that's awesome, I listen to the word being preached, but deep down they actually don't believe in Jesus. And so there's people who are religious unbelievers who are missing the whole point of Jesus in all of this. In verse 13, uh, it says, and they brought him uh, to the Pharisees. Um, this they that's being referred to as his neighbors and his friends. And why did they bring him? Because they wanted to check and make sure it was okay if he got healed on the Sabbath. And now, when we look at the Old Testament, we look at Exodus, we look at Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and we see the law being broke down and the whole story of everything, um, we don't see anything about um, it being wrong to be healed on the Sabbath. Uh, we actually, and these people, they actually added to the law. Did you guys know that the Jewish people added to the law from the time Moses got it to the time Jesus yep. was on the earth? Yeah, just so you know, they added to the law. And there's this thing that was a very popular text at the time, and uh, Jewish culture still uses this text today, and it's something called the Mishnah. Everyone say Mishnah. Mishnah. Okay, and this was a group, uh, or, 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 or uh, a grouping of 39 different uh, laws that you uh, could not break uh, on the Sabbath, things that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Uh, one of these, I mean, it's intense, guys. One of these laws that you cannot do on the Sabbath is if you're wearing sandals that are being held together by a nail or some sort of non-leather strap, okay? Uh, say your sandal broke and so you had to, like, tack it, okay? Uh, if you are wearing those, you can't wear those sandals on the Sabbath because uh, the weight of your foot in it and the tension of your foot in it is causing tension on that nail or that brace that's holding it in place. And so uh, you're bearing a burden on the Sabbath. So slippers are fine, but your sandals that were broken and now fixed, you can't wear those on the Sabbath. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. My my exact reaction, Sam. Right uh, no, you, I, you could not do it because it's burden. Here's another one. You could not heal someone, and I'm not talking about like miraculous healing. If you're a doctor, or no, let's just not even say you're a doctor. Let's just say you're an awesome Jewish kid, okay? Like, let's just say Sam and I, we're just two Jewish friends kicking it, and we're BMX biking through Israel, like doing our thing. And I go off a jump, and I land, and I break my arm. What? If I break my arm, I can't go to the village doctor and have him reset my arm on the Sabbath. I have to just live with my radius and all the broken and just hang in there for a day until the Sabbath is over. Then I can go and get help from a doctor. They did have a loophole, though, that said, well, you know, if someone's dying, we should probably help them out because it's just not cool to watch someone die. So here's what they do. You can't actually, like, 
help help them. You just have to get them to a sustainable place that they just won't die on the Sabbath, so then you can help them the next day. Oh, you need a blood transfusion? Well, we'll put you in a freezer so you don't die, but then the next day we'll give you a blood transfusion. It's all great. I mean, like, this is legitimately their law. You can do no medicinal practice on the Sabbath. So you can already tell where this is going. Uh, Jesus did a miraculous healing where he did a medical miracle on the Sabbath. This was a problem for him. Um, another one of their laws. You guys are going to laugh at this. You ready for this? Another one of the laws that they had on the Sabbath that you could not do. It was illegal to spit on the Sabbath. Oh. Yeah, Jesus started breaking some laws. You guys want to know why it was illegal to spit on the Sabbath? Anyone just curious why that's even in there? No. Am I the only one who was curious? All right. This is why spitting was illegal on the Sabbath. Because if you spit and you're on a hill... And your spit hits the ground, and your spit liquid starts rolling down the dirt. Your spit liquid has now made a trough in the dirt, which means technically your spit was plowing the ground. Wow, this is so terrible. I mean, are we like really real here? This is what they said. If the, I mean, if you spit, it makes a groove in the ground. That means technically you were getting that ground ready for harvest or for planting. Like, really? Like, crazy people. Here's another thing you weren't allowed to, no, this is going to be crazy. You weren't allowed to knead dough or clay. Legitimately in their law, you're not allowed to knead dough or clay. You can't make bread, and you can't make jars. So here's the thing. Jesus is kind of slapping the Jewish religious system in the face here. Because not only does he heal someone, he healed them by spitting, making clay, and eating it, and putting it on their eyes. Like, like Jesus is legitimately breaking the law here, and he doesn't even care about it. Here's the thing. Jesus actually... This is one recorded story of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Do you know Jesus actually healed on the Sabbath seven times? Wow, that's like 21. Seven man. times Jesus heals <laughs> on the Sabbath. And when he Woo. heals, he's kind of just slapping him. the Jewish leaders, the Jewish Who law, was? everything. No, it's only seven. It's only seven. Seven? Well, he broke three laws each time. No, just the one time. Okay. So see, just get wow. your numbers right. Je- Jesus broke... Uh, the law of healing on the Sabbath seven times. So it's okay to break law. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. What Jesus is getting at uh, is Jesus doesn't care wow, okay. about the ceremony. <laughs> Jesus does not care about the ritual. Jesus does not care about the ceremonial rites and laws of the Jewish people. Here's the thing. Ju- uh, Jerusalem was full uh, of a lot of religious unbelievers. Uh, just like a lot of our neighborhoods are full of people who are religious, people who are pious, people who say, I have faith, but they're not believers in Christ. And here's the thing. Uh, these were spiritual people who were more concerned with the spiritual things uh, and the ritual things than the people themselves. And that's a very uh, stark reminder for us that, yes, we are spiritual people. Like, we raise our hands in worship. It's like, yeah, like the Spirit of God is awesome, but... If we get more caught up with the spiritual side of things rather than the people, we are not actually following Jesus. Because Jesus was caught up with the people because the Spirit led him to be caught up with the people. And so we can't get all hung up on like, 
ooh, like spiritual, this is awesome, and get caught up in the ritual of, well, yeah, I go to church. Do you go to church? Oh, you don't go to church. My bad. And then you just My keep walking baby. on down the th- I mean, like we have to care about people because this is what Jesus did. The question I would ask is why wouldn't you want to see people healed, but these people were so trapped in their religious systems that they could care less that he was healed or not. He broke the Sabbath, and that's a problem to these guys. Um, you know it's written by them. And, and, and you might have neighbors uh, who are in the same place. You might have neighbors who are uh, ceremonial, who are religious, uh, who like the ritual of things, who are spiritual. We, guys, we live in Portland. Okay, like Portland is like a hotbed for spiritualism and like, ooh, did you feel the wind? Like, oh man, it was great. You know, like Mother Earth and I, like we get down over some kombucha, it's great, all right? Like, I mean, that's the city we live in. Like this whole, like our neighborhoods are full of spiritual people. We're like, did you see my wall garden? You know, like, and they're like doing all this crazy spiritual stuff, but there's no relationship, there's no belief in Jesus, and that's the problem. So one aspect and one characteristic of unbelievers is that they can be very ceremonial. And here's the thing, there's no relationship when it comes to them and their beliefs with the ceremony. It's more about the rites, it's more about the religion than it is about relationship. And so what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to break down the four characteristics, then we're going to jump back and we're going to see how we can minister and love on the people who have these characteristics. Sound good? Amen. So you guys all tracking, you guys all have the realization that you have neighbors, you have people around you who are unbelievers that might be ceremonial at times. Everyone there? Okay. The next one is that we have uh, unbelievers, neighbors around us uh, that can be skeptical Notice how skeptical is spelled right this week. It's not spelled spectacle. Um, It's spelled right. Uh, Unbelievers can be skeptical. How many of you guys have ever ran into someone who's a skeptic? Yes. How many of you yourself are a skeptic? Try to be. I think it's okay to be skeptical at times. Uh, And and we're going to break that down just a little bit more in just a second. But we see how the people and the religious leaders here become uh, skeptics in verse 18. Uh, through verse 25, we see that they begin to uh, question this young man who was blind. First off, they didn't like they they were they were so mad about the like the the fact that he got healed on the Sabbath. They're like, okay, but now we know that you're healed. Were you actually healed? Because the reason why they think this, and the reason why we know they think this, is because they're like they grabbed his parents to just double check if he was their son. And then they like, all right, well, he is your son. Was he really born blind? Here's the reason why uh, they're skeptics. And we live in a world uh, that has so many skeptics. Because they were under the impression that since he got healed, I mean, he couldn't be healed because no one breaks the law of the Sabbath. So, no, this wasn't healing. This must have been a hoax. This must have been a hoax. And what they were uh, beginning to believe that this was a hoax. And here's the thing. Uh, When it comes to healings and fake healings, uh, fake healings have been going on for decades. For centuries, for millennium, people have been pretending to be healed uh, a lot of times and very, very, I mean, like, televangelists and stuff who, like, uh, fake, yeah, like, yeah, like, like, like the infomercials, like, if you give $372.62, God will heal you. Like, I mean. And he does it, like, in an accent. Yeah, it's like it's a, yeah they're, they're trying to get you. Here's the thing. How many of you guys have ever seen the movie Fletch Lives? Have anyone ever seen the movie Fletch Lives? Am I the only one who's seen Fletch Lives? I have not seen that. 
Okay, don't go watch it. I'm not endorsing the movie. It's just funny. It's Chevy Chase from the late '80s. It's hilarious. The dude's just super funny. And like He's in this great. thing, he uh, uh, he goes. His aunt and his uncle they die, and he gets the inheritance of their house. It's this really cool house. It's down in like the Bible Belt land and whatnot. And uh, there's this giant like television evangelist pastor guy who's trying to build a gigantic theme park, and the house is actually on the property he wants. So he's trying to like get it like connivingly. It's a it's a funny movie, you know. Um, but at one point, Fletch, who's the main character, Chevy Chase, he goes to one of these like tent rallies and whatnot. And when he goes up to the door, they're like, "Hey, what's your name? Uh, what's your address? Uh, tell us one thing about you." You know, he's like, "All right, whatever." Fills it out, and he goes and he sits down, and then during the service, like like the pastor, he's just standing there and he's like praying and whatnot. He goes, "I I feel like there's someone here in the room." I've got a word from the Lord. And he's got this little earpiece in, and there's a dude in the back room with everyone's information. And it's oh, like, wow. yeah, there's someone who's, uh, who's, who's aunt and uncle just died. And Chevy's like, oh, that's funny. That's, that's happening to me. It's like, is there a Mr. Fletcher? Is there a Mr. And, 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 and like, it's funny in the movie, but here's the thing. That actually happened uh, a lot yeah. in the 70s, the 80s, uh, the 90s, the 2000s. It's happening today. Um, and there's like fake healing stuff going on uh, all the time, and it's kind of scary uh, that these people are still allowed to operate. Am I saying uh, healing doesn't take place? No, but what I'm saying is it, there's understanding to be skeptical. I mean, one of these uh, amazing television healers was a guy by the name of Peter Popoff, okay? And that's exactly what he would do. Like, he got caught on national television. Uh, and he's still doing it today. Well, I don't, don't understand how that works. Uh, but there's a reason why people would be skeptical of something when someone gets healed. So these people, they have reason to be skeptical, um, but here's how they were skeptical. First off, they say, um, who did this? Um, how were you healed exactly? And he breaks it down. Uh, but then they ask him again. Okay, and we see in verse 24, everyone look in verse 24, it says, So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give glory to God, or give God the glory, for we know this man, being Jesus, uh, was a sinner. And so, just reading over that, we can be like, okay, well maybe they're not super skeptical. No, they're just saying give glory to God rather than to Jesus which is a true application of that portion of Scripture, but when we actually look at what they're saying here, when they say, give glory to God, um, the first time we see that phrase used in reference to like questioning someone is when Joshua is questioning Achan back in the Old Testament. Anyone ever, I mean, is anyone familiar with the story of Achan? Okay, like he steals a lot of stuff and it brings a lot of calamity on Israel and, and God's going to destroy like Israel because they've sinned. And then he says, no, you've got to go into like everyone's camp and figure all this stuff out. And they find that Achan stole all this stuff. And what Joshua then says to Achan is he says, give glory to God and come clean. So in essence, what the Pharisees are doing here, when they say give glory to God, they're not... They're not saying, yeah, like, woohoo, God's awesome, he healed you. No, they're saying, all right, give glory to God and come clean. You've probably never been blind. They're like legitimately saying, you were never blind, your parents were lying, just come clean about it now so it doesn't make a big spectacle later on. They were extremely, extremely skeptical. Now, here's the thing. Uh, being cautious and being a cautious skeptic is not a bad thing, okay? I would say I myself, 
uh, I'm a cautious skeptic. Um, and I think that's totally okay. And the reason why is because cautious uh, skepticism, that's not even like what it is. We're talking about like discernment, okay? So being a cautious skeptic, that's just being a little bit discerning, okay? Not like flat out rejecting the fact that God could do something. Be like, all right, how does this line up with Scripture? Is this okay? And it, it, it's totally okay to have discernment. That's actually a spiritual gift. Um, but I want to let you know, because you have neighbors uh, who are probably very skeptical, it is okay to be surrounded by people who are skeptics. Why? Because I actually think it's good for us as Christians to be surrounded by skeptics. And the reason why I say this is, is, is because we can think, well, man, if I'm surrounded by so many skeptics as a Christian, they can make me question my faith. And yes, that is a reality, but I think the stronger reality is that when you're around skeptics who question your faith, uh, you can become stronger in your faith and be able to have a defense and an answer for them when they ask you questions, right? And, and so I would encourage you, it's, I mean, I was a football player and then I was a football coach. Okay, we wanted to go against the best practice squad. We wanted to go against the best people in practice because it makes us better. So it's actually, when it comes game time, game time's easy because we've already practiced against the best. Same thing applies to our spiritual lives. Uh, if you're a follower of Christ, being kind of thrown into a fire, being kind of thrown to where people are very skeptical, it makes us practice what we believe and why we believe it and actually understand those things, know those things, make those things real to us. So that if our faith is really thrown on the line, we can say, yeah, you know what? I'm not wavering because this, 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 and this. You guys track what, what I'm saying? Yeah. So just because you have skeptical neighbors, skeptical people around you, don't try and avoid those people. Actually engage in conversation with them. I think it could be very, very fruitful. There's a difference between honest doubt and true unbelief. Um, I was listening to some music actually last night with my cousin, and uh, there was a song by a hip-hop artist. Uh, I don't listen to hip-hop all the time, but I was listening to this one hip-hop artist. Um, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. Has anyone ever heard of Hobson before? Yeah. Okay, yeah, he's decent. He's, he, he, he's a pretty good rapper. Uh, but he has this song off one of his new albums where he's like legitimately questioning the fact Okay, is there God? What God is real? Is the God of the Bible? Is the God of... I mean, it's just... The song, it cusses a lot. So I'm not going to just tell you to go listen to it. Because if you don't like foul language, which we shouldn't like foul language, but foul languages exist in the world around us, okay? So he uses a lot of foul language, but here's the thing. The song and what he's actually, like, his questioning, uh, I respect the dude, like, hardcore. Because there's a lot of people who just, like, go out there and just, like, say, yeah, there's no... And then, like, flat but like this dude, in his song, he's like legitimately having questions and doubts. And here's the really cool thing. He like posted like these like statements on Twitter and stuff like, I'm really confused. I don't know what's going on. This is like a super secular rapper and whatnot. And then Christian rapper Lecrae hops on there and it's yeah. like, hey, let's chat. Let's talk. And like some fruit actually comes out of it. So honest doubt is okay. If you've ever had like honest doubt about your faith, that's okay. Okay, God's okay with that. Um, now, the rejecting and the unbelief, well, I mean, God's not okay with that. Uh, but to have a doubt is okay. And then we seek the things out. Find someone who's more knowledgeable or uh, find someone who can disciple you because that that actually builds our faith. And, and, and we're encouraged to do that. Um, here's the thing. 
verse 22, they go to the parents and they're like, hey, you know what? All right. Your kid, your adult kid is saying he was blind. He just got healed. We kind of don't believe that he did. Uh, come on, just tell us the truth. Was he really blind? And, and was he really healed? And the parents are like, okay, don't ask us. Uh, he's of age. Ask him. And verse 22 tells us the reason why they said that uh, was because they were afraid that they could get thrown out of the synagogue. Uh, not only was there the Mishnah, but there was something called the Talmud. There was some amendments and some things written to the law while they were in captivity in Babylon. And the Talmud said that if you go against what the Pharisees or the priests had said, then you can be kicked out of the synagogue. It's the Greek word, apososynagogos. Apososynagogos, one word that means to be kicked out of the synagogue, never to return again. Interesting how one word in the Greek turns into like seven words in the English language. But it's a completely different story. Here's the thing. They were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue because it says in verse 22 that the Pharisees had already decided that anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, they're going to be kicked out. And being kicked out of the synagogue is not just like someone kicking you out of this room. It legitimately means your, your heritage, your family, your culture, you will be shunned by every, your neighborhood will reject you. And the parents were like, we don't, we don't want, no, everywhere in the world. Really? They could never go to any synagogue again. They've been disowned from Judaism. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. That's and so the parents were like, the, the, the parents were like, I don't want any part of this. But what I love about the blind man is when they ask him, he could care less. He says, yeah, the dude who healed me, he's a prophet. Yeah, like, he's God. And, and we're going to see how he breaks this down uh, a little bit more in just a second. Um, but what he does is he gives his personal testimony uh, to these skeptics. He says, all right, guys, this is what Jesus has done. I don't know all the law. I don't know all these things. I don't, I'm not even going to tell you who I used to be. I'm just going to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And here's something that we can do when we have skeptics. They're like, well, how could you believe in that? I mean, no one actually believes that kind of stuff. You can legitimately say from your personal testimony, this is who I once was. I used to be a skeptic. I didn't used to believe in God. But Jesus did something in my life, and now I believe in God, and this is why. And that's what this blind guy did here. It's, it's really cool because he doesn't have a fancy testimony. So often in the church, we like, we like the people who have the testimonies of like, I was a drug dealer. <laughs> I did a lot of cocaine. I shot someone. I went to jail for like eight years. Wow. Uh, then, what, a, what a testimony. <laughs> and that's the reaction. Everyone's like, wow, what a testimony. Here's the thing. That's cool and whatnot, but in the church we tend to like when people had a big backstory and like they did bad things. But that, who cares? I mean, that, that's not even important. Here's the, the thing. Stand up and the testimony is Jesus did something in my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we tend to make all this old stuff about who we used to be really cool. And we don't like to listen to people who are like, you know, I was a... I grew up in the church and like, Jesus, yeah. We're like, oh, nice testimony. And it's like, <laughs> I was gangster. I, was I ran the mafia. It's like, dude, I like that guy. I, I mean, really like that guy. here's the thing. Those things don't matter because it's all about Jesus. And that's the testimony that we have. So, unbelievers can be ceremonial. Unbelievers can be skeptical. The third thing an unbeliever can be is an unbeliever can be irrational. We see this in verse 26 through 33. Uh, it says, again, they asked him a question. Uh, again, again, again. They're like getting to the point of irrational. Uh, rational thinking would be like, okay, well, he got healed on the Sabbath. Yeah, we have a problem with that. But he didn't lie, and so he's healed. Okay, we understand. 
but they like are completely irrational and they and they just keep on going at it keep on going at it and what i love what the blind man did here he says this in verse 27 he said i told you already how many of you guys have ever or your parents how many of your parents have ever like you've been like doing something you're not supposed to or maybe you have a question and you ask your mom or your dad and you're like hey like is it okay if i do this and how many of you ever heard i already told you yeah. Anyone ever heard those words before? No, I already tons. told you. Tons. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, he, he, I think he's getting to this point of like extreme annoyance with the Pharisees. Because here's the thing. It says they went and they got him again. I imagine when they brought him the first time, he's like, I'm excited. I just want to go see the world. I've, I haven't been able to see it. And so then when they finish talking to him, he leaves. And then uh, he comes back because they bring him back and then he leaves and they bring him back and now he's getting to the point of extreme extreme annoyance and he says i already told you this is what jesus did and is the reason that you're asking me uh, because you also want to be a disciple now he's like slapping him in the face and this gets them super super uh mad and all this emotion is stirring up but what they're trying to do at this point is they're doing what lawyers do very well. Uh, they're trying to discredit his previous statement by asking him the same question a different way, trying to get him to answer it differently. Like, well, you know, the first time you said it, you said this, but this time you said it, you said this. What did you really mean? What really happened? I'm going to discredit your story. But here's the thing. He sticks to his guns, and he just keeps saying the same thing. He says, this is what Jesus did, and he's going to do it. And they're completely irrational. First, they didn't believe it. Then they didn't believe it was possible that it could happen on the Sabbath. Then they think it's a hoax. Then they think he's lying. Then they're like, are you sure this actually took... I mean, they're completely irrational and rational thought. Would just He probably wanted to go see the world. So here's the thing. The blind man gives them a lesson on logic. And this is what he says. Uh, God doesn't hear sinners. Okay, God doesn't hear sinners. But God heard Jesus. Interesting. Only God can heal the blind, but Jesus healed me. So using deductive logic, let's use deductive logic as a group. I'm going to do, I, 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 I'm going to go over something with you guys. Check this out. If I were to make this statement that all people with brown eyes and brown hair are smart, Sam has brown eyes and brown hair, what can we say about Sam? Sam is smart. Wow, you guys are logical geniuses. So, if God doesn't hear sinners, but God heard Jesus, what can we say about Jesus? He wasn't a sinner. He wasn't a sinner. And, if only God can heal, and Jesus healed, what does it say about Jesus? He's God. This, this guy uses simple logic, and he's like, guys, logically, Jesus isn't a sinner. Logically, Jesus isn't some dumb person. Logically, He's God. And, and these people are like, no, no you, you, you can't talk to us because we're, we're the smart ones. You're not the smart one. Here's the thing, guys. Unbelievers tend to act towards Christians the way they think Christians act toward them. Unbelievers tend to act towards Christians the way they believe Christians act towards them. And now I'm going to break down what I mean there. They act like they're smarter... In some cases, they may be smarter than you. 
Okay? But they act like they're smarter because they're not dumb enough to believe in a God. Okay? What they like to do is they like to, to, to come at Christians with cliches. Uh, another way uh, irrational unbelievers approach Christians is they tend to judge Christians the same way they say Christians judge them. Like, uh, well, all you Christians, you just judge people like all oh, blah, 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 blah. And then when it comes to legislation and making laws... The only people they judge is the Christians. Well, you know, because the Christians, they're judgmental people. We can't listen to anything they say. But everything else goes. You guys heard that before? Like, it's like they make fun of and they make Christians out to be the bad guys when Christians don't agree with homosexual marriage. But then they mandate and force Christians to perform uh, marriage ceremonies for homosexual couples. It's like... This weird reverse thing, because then they, when a Christian says, oh, well, I won't, when I won't, then they judge them even more because it's like, well, see, they're just bigots. And here's the thing. You, you took something that they believed, that you mandated them to do something they didn't believe, and then now you make... It, it, it's so backwards, but they say Christians are the ones who are the ones doing that. But in all reality, the world does it a hundred times more than the Christians do. But here's what I really want to get at. What they tend to do, the way most irrational unbelievers approach Christians, is they use the cliches such as, well, there can't be a God because there's pain in the world. They accuse Christians of using cliches like, well, God has a plan. <laughs> and then they come right back at it with a cliche. Okay? I hear a lot of people saying that, uh, oh, bad things happen to good people, but what, what about the bad people that Right, right. They come at you with just cliches. Why do good things happen to bad people, yeah. and bad things happen to good people? And, and, and it's like they come at uh, like 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 more cliches. Is uh, well, there's so many gods out there. Uh, how can we know that the Christian God? Like, how do you have the corner market on what God is? And, and they come out with these, the biggest one that bugs me to death. Okay, and maybe you would have heard, yeah, like, like I've legitimately died a few times because I've been bugged so much by this. They say the Bible is so full of contradictions and mistakes. It was written by people. Like the New Testament was written by people like 300 years after Jesus. Um, it sounds really smart. And they probably heard it from someone intellectual. Um, wow, but to, really but I, I, I am angry because here's the thing: they're idiots. <laughs> yeah. Is it okay yeah. for someone to say that from the pulpit? I'm going to do it again. Uh, people, I might step on toes here. Is it okay if I step on toes? I think oh. Jesus stepped on toes. Here's the thing: people who say those kind of comments are idiots. People who believe those kind of comments, when someone says that to them, I'm sorry. If someone said that to you, and you'd be like, "Oh man, I." I didn't know. Uh, idiots. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Great way to explain it. Describe your logic. And the only reason why I say that is because it doesn't even take 30 seconds of digging to find out that that is the biggest fallacy. Yeah. When someone says that the New Testament was written 300 years after the fact, I don't know. I got a degree in history, guys. There's not one legit, there's not one dumb historian in the world who believes that the New Testament was written 300 years after the fact. There's no one who believes uh, that kind of stuff. So people use this as like, oh yeah, 
And as Christians, what we got to do is we got to be uh, built up in like, hey, like this is what truth is. This is what reality is. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. Um, and I know I'm running out of time quick. Uh, but um, I heard this one thing. It was an atheist asking an agnostic historian, did Jesus even exist? I mean, no one actually believes Jesus exists. And this non-Christian historian is like, dude, you're an idiot. Uh, everyone knows that Jesus actually existed. Okay, because there's so much historical evidence outside the Bible that Jesus existed. Anyone who says he didn't exist because he's the, the Bible is something makes me mad. Okay, I'm moving on. Um, J.I. Packer, amazing theologian, he says uh, we need to outthink the unbeliever, uh, and that's very much a reality. We need to practice what is called reasonable faith, not just blind faith, like. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I have a good, warm feeling on the inside. Yeah. No, we need to practice reasonable faith. I believe this because of this. We need to know why we believe what we believe. Uh, good Christian apologist, a guy by the name of Dinesh D'Souza, uh, calls out Christians in his book, and, and, and this is the title of his book, and you, I'm going to purchase it. Y'all should purchase it as well. What, uh, it's What's So Great About Christianity? Uh, and what he says is he said, Christians need to stop ducking for cover when questioned by skeptics, when questioned by irrational people, when questioned by atheists. Because for so long, Christians have been just ducking because they don't have the answers. And I quote, this is what he says, Atheists have been beating the carcass of the fundamentalist Christian without encountering the horse kick of a vigorous traditional Christian. What he's saying is, Christianity for too long has just been lying dead, not responding when people question and attack your faith because true Christian who said, I'm going to seek out what God's word has to say. Uh, you got the most powerful leg of a horse to kick that person in the face with. Uh, my favorite meme and Bo loves this also. It's of stinking Santa Claus and it says deck the halls. Screw that deck the heretics. And I love that because Santa Claus, he actually punched someone who didn't know what they were talking about. Now, I'm not encouraging any of you guys to go punch someone or kick someone. Okay. Don't, don't take that as what I'm telling you guys to do. Like don't go hit anyone. But get yourself and study God's word enough that when people come against you, you're able to give a defense for the hope that you have. You guys track with me? Yeah. Okay. And if you're not there yet, that's totally chill. That's totally okay if, if you don't have the weaponry and, and, and you don't know the scriptures well enough. Because here's the thing. We're all in the process of learning. We're all in the process of, of seeking these things out. But we have to be diligent. Because if we just take it blindly, when the world comes, when skeptics come, when irrational people come, it's going to kick our faith out from right underneath us if we're not studied up, prepared up, uh, and really have a true relationship with God. Got to get to the fourth one, then we're going to just bust out of here. Uh, the last one, unbelievers can be inflexible. Here's the thing. Uh, he gives them logic. He gives them proof they could care less. Uh, the, these are the kind of unbelievers who say, don't confuse me with your facts. As if facts could be confusing because facts are realities. But they say, don't confuse me with the realities because I don't want to believe what you have to say. And it just makes me confused. Um, they are the people who tend to say, well, we deal in reality. You don't. Um, and here's the simple fact. Some people just won't believe. But... The people who are searching, they will believe. And and um, the difference between an agnostic and atheist and the true agnostic is someone who says, you know what, 
if I had evidence, I would believe. And so it's our job as followers of Christ to find that evidence and share that evidence with them. So, the first people, those who are uh, ceremonial, how do we reach them? Uh, make it all about Jesus, because ceremony is all about self. And so when you're talking to them about Christianity, when you're talking about the Lord, uh, don't make it about, well, this is what you got to do. This is what you can do. This is how it is for you. No, say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The way to reach someone who's ceremonial, uh, who's ritualistic, who's spiritual, make it about Jesus, and they understand who Jesus is, and they'll fall in love with Jesus. To the person who's the skeptic, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, says, be ready to give an answer for your hope, for your faith. Not for the general Christian hope. No, it says, be able to give a defense for your, be able to give an answer for your faith. To the, to the ceremonial people, tell them all about how awesome Jesus is. To the skeptic, tell them all about how God changed your life. Because your personal testimony is going to impact someone. God has formed you and made you specifically so that you can impact people with your story. Your story matters. And to someone who's skeptical, tell them your story. Because you can't argue with someone's experience. If someone's gone water skiing, and they had so much fun water skiing, and they told someone about it, someone goes, well, you didn't actually water ski, you know. You can't argue experience. To the third and the fourth group, those who are irrational and flexible, we have to uh, study up on our apologetics. We have to know what God's Word has to say and why it says what it says. And, and, and there's so many different levels where we can be in that. Uh, it's totally uh, okay if you're at the beginning or a veteran, rookie. I mean, we're, we're, we're all going to fill somewhere in there. And here's the thing. We can always learn. We can always grow. Lastly, with this, people who are irrational, people who are uh, unflexible. When Mount St. Helens was erupting in 1980, uh, leading up to Mount St. Helens eruption, there was a man by the name of Harry uh, R. Truman, uh, and he lived uh, on Spirit Lake, right by Mount St. Helens. Um, all the scientists, all the geologists, everyone was saying, look, Mount St. Helens is going to erupt, get out of there, evacuate everything. But this guy just said, no, you know what, I've been living on the mountain for as long as I can remember, the mountain's been doing this, it's just not going to erupt. He was extremely, extremely stubborn. It's a sad story. Uh, but he said, no, you know what, I'm not leaving. And when Mount St. Helen erupted, uh, the dude died. Harry Truman died. Right there. Beside Mount St. Helens. Because he didn't believe. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, there is a very real eruption that's coming. Uh, and it's called, uh, it, it, it's called God's ultimate judgment. I mean, there, there is a very real uh, end to all of this. Uh, and there are people who are irrational and flexible who are stubborn. Uh, but our job to go out and be the people who said, you know what, Harry, you should probably leave. The mountain's going to erupt. I'll help you pack. Like, let's go. And they were like, until the last minute, they're like, let's do this thing. And uh, that's our job as, as followers of Christ. We were told in Matthew chapter 28 to go into all the world and make disciples. And uh, we've got to do it. We've got to be people who have reasonable faith, not blind faith. We've got to be people who are not caught up in the religion, but rather in the relationship with Jesus. And when we do those things, when we put these things together, guys, we're going to see our neighbors, those who are around us, fall in love with Jesus because of how he has affected each and every single one of us. So if you put your faith in Jesus, I just want to encourage you, uh, 
continue to love God. Continue to put Him first in everything you do. And when it comes to people who are irrational, people who are skeptics, people who are unflexible, uh, know what God's Word has to say. Know what you believe and why you believe it. And be ready, in season out, to give an answer for the hope that you have. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray.